welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. We are here. Happy Wednesday. Uh, thank you to all the subscribers. You subscribe for free. You get free delivery right there on your device, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, leave us a subscription, review, rate. It's appreciated. It's taken in. We listen to it. We promise you uh, there's, there's not uh, any typing during today's podcast. So how about that? That is a listener request. That is a listener request granted. Barton Simmons, how are we feeling, man? What's up, man? Feeling good. Um, always a good Dodcast day. Uh, but yeah, what's going on? Uh, Dennis is really fired up about Auburn. He's very fired up about uh, Michigan, Michigan State. It's one of his favorite rivalries. And also he took a trip to go visit Seth Luttrell, a coach who um, he believes could be one of the uh, the next ones up. But we begin uh, our conversation today with a, an interesting proposal. Sometimes, Barton, you and I both do uh, radio from all over the country, and we appreciate it. And I, I assume that you, like me, just shamelessly promote the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do my best. I hopped on your. You even hosted a radio show this week, and I hopped on with you. You, you got you're you're a natural man. The, Felt like uh, I was on a real live radio show with a real live radio host. Yeah, I know. Not, it, not one of these. Not one of these. Not one of these podcasters the uh well i i can i can play it i could i've been known to play it i've been doing that for a couple years um a little a little bit of i'm like I've, I've become uh do you remember in school the substitute teacher that everybody liked where it yeah. was like you like oh yeah like mrs smith or like mr jefferson's here like that it, it i provide a level of comfort i can i can keep a ship going in the right direction for three hours that's for sure but of course if I, if they ask me to do it I, I will do like we did on, on Monday and just bring on my friends and shamelessly promote our products. That's the way to do it, man. Um, all right. So the, the question that you got this week that sort of has, has spurred on something that we want to talk out as we start to shape. And on Wednesdays in the future, like once we get the playoff rankings announcement, so for the month of November, we're going to take some of this time on Wednesday to digest what we see from the playoff rankings, uh, break down what the committee says in terms of why they made their decisions. And so as a little bit of a teaser, as a little bit of an appetite, uh, we're going to start to get into that now. So the question that was posed to you, and uh, and then I guess I'll, I'll throw it to you to you first here. Do you think a two loss team will make the college football playoff? I mean, no. I was asked that this week, and the the premise was this is going to be a crazy year. Feels like uh, this feels like a year that the two loss team gets in. I don't see that, but I guess I am also assuming some things that I shouldn't assume. I'm assuming a lack of chaos that uh, perhaps I shouldn't assume. But I, I guess the, I want to talk through this by saying, who, like, what, what is the scenarios that would, that would allow a two-loss playoff team to get in? Because right now, okay, I think there is, there's a clear Notre Dame path for undefeated. There's a clear Clemson path for undefeated. Th- those are three undefeateds that we think are not just plausible, but... Notre Dame, Clemson, and Oklahoma, and Alabama. Yeah, that are okay. perhaps, uh, I don't know, 
likely, I guess, you know, probably one of those teams will lose. But at this point, you know, I think if you look at each one, it feels like there's a better chance they went out than not. Okay, well, uh, let's let's go this. Uh, NC State, do you think undefeated ACC champion NC State makes the playoff? Undefeated ACC champion? Yes. Yes. Okay, because the strength of schedule is not. I mean, they they will I mean, have, that, that they'd have a they'd have a Clemson win on their record, and they would have a ACC championship win, whatever that's worth, given what Miami might be. Right. Um. I don't know if I think that's it from the ACC. Duke is a five and is a one loss team right now. Even if Duke runs the table, do you think that one loss Duke team makes the college football playoff? Uh, who would that include wins by? Uh, the ACC Coastal. So I lean. Oh no, they would have to go at Clemson. So maybe, but yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, if you got a, if, if you're one loss ACC champion with a Clemson win, then yeah, you're all in. Right. All right. So all right. So the Notre, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Alabama is sort of your top tier. What about Ohio State? Well, I mean, Ohio State is in if they win the Big Ten championship. Regardless, um, I mean, I guess the 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 scenario that a two two loss team could get in is basically is it a two loss Big Ten champion, a two loss SEC champion? I think that's it. And that's probably it, right? Yeah. So does like what's the scenario what is the scenario that produces a two loss Big Ten champion? I think that one of those losses would have I mean it would have to be Michigan, I think. It would have to be Michigan because they because because you can't have two it can't be a two loss two losses in conference. Oh. Michigan is the only team that can make the college football playoff with two losses. I'll drop that hot take right now. I think that's what we just figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, let's think SEC is is I mean, Georgia lost to LSU. If, I mean, if there, there'd have to be a lot of cannibalization. If I guess LSU, I guess Georgia, got, say, what, what, LSU's got a loss to to Florida, right? I don't know. Like, I don't know. How, I'm not sure this, this, there, that there's a, a a path to two loss SEC. Yeah, I think that it. If there is a path, it's got to be Georgia, maybe. If Georgia were to take and not losing in the SEC championship game, but taking another loss, but then like beating Alabama in the SEC championship game, because then the argument would be, well, you can't leave the SEC champion out. You can't leave Georgia out. They just beat Alabama. And then the SEC's back with Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship. I mean, in the college football playoff, like a close one to Florida. And somehow the math worked out to where they still got to the East division champ or like what if Auburn just comes up and knocks their block off out of nowhere right and so they still went out in the east and then Auburn figures out a way to beat them right that's I don't know I'd have a hard time I yeah but I guess you you gotta let a team in that beats Bama yeah that's only Bama that Bama's only loss and then is Bama is it is Bama in too so you're getting a two loss SEC team and a one loss Alabama team in that didn't win the championship uh, there, there, I, I do think you probably need some help yeah. from around the country for that to happen. Who, who, where are you willing to draw the line then 
where you're able to say like, all right, so that I think that that team like there there has been a lot of conversation this week that has been along the lines of all right, so the Pac-12 is done. Do you believe that the Pac-12 is done from a college football playoff perspective? Oh, I think they got they still got Clemson. Uh, not Clemson. They still got Oregon. Yeah. I mean, I think Oregon is is in play. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, Colorado is probably technically in play. Washington State. Washington State is technically in play, but I think realistically speaking, Oregon is the only team that I I could see in the playoffs. Because that's good, that's good enough to win out. That is, and that you know has the appropriate resume. Like they, and even when, and and if they end up, and if they finish the season eleven and one, and they, oh, their only loss is a close loss to Stanford that they really in a game they really dominated. Then they're going to be, I think, pretty clearly like I think I think they'll be highly regarded. So this weekend is a college football playoff elimination game for Oregon and Washington State. It is. It is. And it's it's you're really down to and who Colorado plays someone good this weekend too. They play Utah at Utah, right? Yep. Is that right? No. Yeah. Um so is that who they play? Looking it up right now. Colorado is at Washington. Wow. Okay, I knew they played somebody good. Yeah. So that's a so that's another sort of I mean, we could finish the weekend. We will finish the weekend, likely, if Washington wins, we'll finish the weekend with one Pac twelve candidate. Yeah. And it'll be it'll it'll likely be the winner of Washington State, Oregon. The uh the Big Twelve, I am willing to keep Texas, Oklahoma, and West Virginia all in the college football playoff mix right now. They each have one loss and being winning the Big Twelve would mean for West Virginia having to beat either Texas or Oklahoma twice and for Texas or Oklahoma having to win a rematch of that Red River Classic. They they will need some help elsewhere, but in terms of us trying to figure out, you know, who, where the path is, I th- I think for Texas, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, we seem to be writing off the Big Twelve. I am not ready to write off the Big Twelve at all. There's that's another. I mean, it, with enough chaos around the country, that is, there is another sort of two loss candidate. Big Twelve probably has a ch- a two loss chance because. Texas, if Texas loses somewhere along the way in the big in, in conference, and gets to the Big Twelve championship game, beats Oklahoma again, they'll be the Big Ten Big Twelve champion at eleven and two, and they'll have wins over they'll have two wins over Oklahoma, win over USC. Uh, I think I, I think you could probably give it if, if there's enough chaos everywhere else that's a that's a scenario well hey well look ohio state lost to virginia tech and won the national championship the college football playoff selection committee will overlook that maryland loss if texas sweeps oklahoma it was the first yes it was the same thing virginia tech beat ohio state first game of the season right texas loses to maryland first game of the season if you run the table from there, including two wins across the Sooners, Texas is absolutely still in the college football playoff picture, and I feel like that's being overlooked a lot nationally. Yeah, and but the you know the, the part of the reason why 
I was sort of surprised by the two lost playoff question is because we're st- like, you know, there's there's also UCF in here, where, which is where you've you've discussed UCF as a as a candidate. I mean, if UCF wins out and beats Houston in the AAC championship game and beats Cincinnati and Temple and USF, then they they'll, they'll have a better resume than they had last year, and they will, you know, and then if you got if you've got any, you know, two of the undefeated options in Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame, and if you got Big Ten champion, and I mean, it's just there's just a lot of there's a lot of teams out there that are positioned well right now to where you don't it doesn't seem like we're going to have to dip into like a two loss, you know, a, a, a two a two loss sell could be hard. No, the, I I think that you had it right. I think the answer to this question is that the two loss team, the only two loss team I see making it happen is Michigan. And that's probably a situation where Michigan, for example, loses to Michigan state this weekend in East Lansing loss number two, but then you rally back, you beat Ohio state maybe. And then somehow because of the tiebreaker are able to get to the big 10 championship game, win the big 10 championship game, and then all of a sudden you're this Big Ten champion whose losses are to on the road to your rival and on the road at Notre Dame. Yeah, and and there I do think you would also have to have some like really impressive wins at the end, like a blowout in the Big Ten championship game or a blowout win over Ohio State or something like that to to be to be an eye catcher. To but uh, so you know, hey, we're, we're sort of jumping the gun here a little bit. Like we're about to get. When do the first playoff rankings come out? The twenty. Let's see. It's going to be Tuesday, the like 29th or the thirtieth, something like that. So we're two so weeks we're like away. Two weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll get we got a lot of time to sort of sort through all this. And and also don't forget that almost I think that from every first college football playoff ranking, there's never been more than one or two teams that have made it to the final one. Yeah. We always look. I, I'm sitting here. My dumbass sitting here being like, "Oh yeah, there's gonna be three teams on the like that." It never happens the way we. Well, yeah, I mean, and there's 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 always a a lot more chaos and upsets than we ever anticipate. We we are lucky. I think that last year we did this exercise, and it's in most years you get maybe two Power Five undefeated teams. Most of the time, it's not, and it's like the max you get is two Power Five, one Group of Five. More often than not, you get one power five, one group of five, and sometimes you just get none. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Us sit, us sitting here trying to act like we know exactly how the rest of the college football season is going to go. Uh, that's not smart. Uh, you know what else is not smart? Making the lottery the centerpiece of your retirement plan. Also, uh, if you let your friends pick your karaoke song, yep, that's not smart. Did you know that there's also job sites that send you tons of the wrong resumes to sort through? That's not smart. There are also job sites that make you wait for the right candidates to apply to your job. Not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24-7 sports to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job. Then it actively invites them to apply so that you get qualified candidates fast. 
That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports, ZipRecruiter.com slash 247sports. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, you ready to bring on Dennis? Bring it on. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined $20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make $13 million more than the entire map. And now it's time to bring on the Dodd-Father, Dennis Dodd, as we take a look at hate week. We got to talk about Michigan, Michigan State. Um, we've got a, a great story from Dennis, your visit to Denton, Texas. Uh, but uh, we've I want to begin a, a conversation that Barton and I uh, just sort of you know started to to wander into. I'm glad we pulled back because after talking to you on the phone yesterday, this is. This is probably one of the most interesting uh, twists in college football where at Auburn, we go from uh, the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. The seat never loses its heat. And Gus Malzahn, you know, we addressed it in terms of him defending Jarrett Stidham as the as the quarterback. And Barton correctly pointed out, man, like, what about this offense? Like, where is Gus? Where is Gustav the savant? Um, you know, where where are you the most intrigued in terms of this Auburn story? And is it is it anything beyond uh, just midseason disgruntled fans? Like, do you see any kind of action coming out of this this current state of unrest around the Auburn program? Well, I you know as, as soon as he signed that contract, I said this will let the the warm fuzzies will last as long as he until he loses a game. He should win. I didn't think it would take the form of actually seriously considering uh, getting rid of the guy after his first year or less, you know, we're seven years into a seven year contract and eating anywhere from 32 to $38 million. You know, that's one thing. So that's a reality. I, I talked to Brandon Marcello yesterday, the 24 seven guy at Auburn who wrote that story and was on a lot, a lot of national um, media outlets this week. He said, that's a real possibility that's one thing. Second thing is, who are you going to get? Who are you going to get that is better than Gus Malzahn, who beat one and two last November, played for the SEC championship, and got his team to a New Year's Six Bowl? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. That might be a separate podcast. So so where should we be here in the, in the Malzahn, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, waters? Like, is, is, are, we, are we feeling like, Malzahn got a uh, an unnecessary raise last year, an unnecessary contract. Are we feeling like he is a better coach than the people around Auburn feel like? Like, where where are you at in terms of just quantifying sort of your your Malzahn impression right now? And, yeah, and, and the situation. I think a market was created after I mentioned um, everything that he accomplished last year. There was a market created by Auburn, uh, Arkansas, and Jimmy Sexton. And we know Jimmy Sexton's ability, and we're talking about his agent, Jimmy Sexton's ability to mani- manipulate the market, create a market, get the best for his clients. And at the end of the day, if Auburn didn't pay 
seven years, 49 million. Arkansas was going to pay seven years, 49 million. So it was really, um, it was really Gus's call where he felt more comfortable. And believe it or not, he felt more comfortable at Auburn, which, you know, obviously he should have. There's more of a chance to win there, um, to win championships. It's just not going well right now, and they don't have any patience there. So should should Auburn fans be more appreciative of what they've got, or or who's who's wrong here? I, I think so. I think so. Considering the state they're in, uh, Nick Saban's a hundred miles down the road. You know, the the best program, the best dynasty maybe ever sitting there right now in real time, and and they're playing with it. They're not being blown out by Alabama. You know, he's beaten. Uh, Gus is one of the four people on earth, I think, who that walked the earth who have beaten Nick Saban twice. Uh, you know, the others being Steve Spurrier and Les Miles. And, and I'm talking about in the modern era since he got to Alabama. And Hugh Freeze. And, and Hugh Freeze. <laughs> yeah. So there's something to be said for that. Right. You know, they tell you, know, they tell you you're, you're recruiting every day at those two programs. You absolutely are. But it's four and three. It's not 0 oh and seven. It's not two and five. And yes, losing to Tennessee was absolutely embarrassing. I get that. Um, but. Jarrett Stidham has taken a step back. The offensive line isn't very good. They just don't have many difference-making running backs. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. What about the the university leadership point of this? Because we had Jay Jacobs. Jay Jacobs is gone. The university president uh, makes the final call on the new deal for Gus Malzahn. And so now as the yeah. – as, as we've got this sort of crosshair of who's responsible, who's going to step up, who's going to make the comments, you know, what does, is, is that something that helps action or is that indecision and, and that lack of understanding of responsibility, is that something that probably, like I play this out and I see that I see no action at the end of this because uh, it's, it's going to take so much to be able yeah. to overcome all the different hurdles if Auburn does decide that it wants to make a change. And look, Auburn could finish. Where Look at the rest of the, the schedule where you've got Georgia, you've got Alabama. I mean, Auburn's going to be, what, 6-6 six and six if it's lucky? Is that, is that a stretch? Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's right. The, the pressure's on um, Alan Green now, the new AD, because he didn't do the deal. So now that the fan base said, what are you going to do? You know, the pre- there's a lot of pre- uh, pressure on the new president. What are you going to do? You oversaw this. What are you going to do? You know, Jay Jacobs is being blamed for agreeing to that or, you know, whatever, signing that contract. Well, Jay Jacobs is gone. And a lot of the reason he's gone is because maybe because of that contract. But again, everybody went into this with their eyes wide open. You know, Auburn didn't say no. Um, you know, Auburn knew that there was leverage there from Arkansas. Um, and they went after it and did the deal. So I, I guess my point is, and, and Barton chime in here, I don't think that um, Gus Malzahn's forgotten how to coach in seven games. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, Barton. <laughs> <laughs> well, where I'm at with Gus Malzahn is I feel like he is so stubborn and he is not – the offense doesn't look that different than it did – six years ago and yet it feels like offenses are moving 
and, and evolving so quickly in today's game that yeah, it's 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 a cha- it's a it's a different challenge for defensive coordinators today than it was maybe just two or three years ago. I just think there there's there's been some rapid evolutions, and I feel like you could sort of plop this Auburn offense into 2012 or whatever, and it's still the same Gus Malzahn offense, and and it it hasn't even really been it doesn't it doesn't even look that different with a totally different style quarterback. So. My, my thing with Auburn is how, if, if we assume that he's not gone, if we assume that he's staying, then there, there's some real sort of self-scout stuff he's got to do to figure out a way to get the offense clicking and looking better. Because, I mean, even last year, I, I, I mean, I guess this, the second half of the season, they kind of got things going, but it was a it was a pretty clunky operation through the first half, and um, maybe they can make that sort of transition this year too, but I, I've not been impressed with sort of how Gus Malzahn has has changed. I think every coach has got to be able to change. I mean, shoot, Alabama's running a Big Twelve, Pac Twelve offense right now <laughs> yeah. because they should because they got that sort of skill set and talent. And and Nick Saban has been willing to to alter his DNA, which has always been, you know, pro style take care of the football, ball control, pound you offense. And, and I, I, I've yet to see, I've yet to see like a chip Lindsay effect on the Auburn offense. And, uh, it still looks like Gus Malzahn's to me. Yeah. I don't know if it's chip Lindsay. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, when, when things, things get nervous, I think Gus just grabs the, the headphones and calls the plays. I mean, I, and I think chip Lindsay's really good, but your point about Nick now, you know, schooling him in, I think Nick's running more successful RPOs than Gus. Yeah. And, and, and Nick had to embrace that, whereas Gus used to be the industry leader. If you remember in the, in the kick six game, that game time touchdown pass with 30 seconds left, that, that's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And that's when I started thinking about RPOs. Now, everybody's doing it. Um, Auburn has gone from 12th in the uh, – in the country and passes of 20 yards or more to like 82nd. That was last week. I don't know what it is now, but that's, that says something. Either people are catching up or you're not evolving. All right. So let's look at it this way. I don't, I don't know that I really want to get into like the specific names, but if this were to come open, what, what do you think? Like, what do you think Auburn's tier status is in terms of, desirability from coaches around the country do you think this is like a top five job top 10 job top 15 job do you think that they this is a big enough domino to where they could go hunting for just about any coach in the country outside of about five or six schools what 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 do you think the the prestige level of a program like auburn is right now well uh, actually yeah it's they get somebody good because they they'd pay and they'd overpay because of everything we just talked about because because the scrutiny there is is going to be a daily thing, and whoever they get, you know, that's what Nick said when he came in in 07. I'm answering to one person, and that's the president. Nobody else. If I want something, I'm going to the president. And they said, okay, you know, that was that was it. Uh, he had direct line to the president, and everything went smoothly from there. Uh, yeah, they, they would get somebody. I'm just Barton. I'm just racking my brain to think. You know, they'll get somebody, but 
nobody from the from the scratch and dent pile, you know, guys out of work are, are going to get that job. Who are they? Who are they going to elevate, or who are they going to hire? Matt Canada. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. How, how, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I really I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. know. Who, I don't know who the target would be. And I guess you got to if, if you're Auburn, you have to you have to factor that in. If you're you can't you can't fire a guy like Gus Malzahn without no. a, without a game plan. No, I know that, and then it starts getting into uh, Joe Oliva territory at LSU, where right now he's reaping the rewards of of getting lucky, frankly, um, because Coach O was his third choice, and he whiffed on Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher. So you better sure as hell have somebody in your back pocket that would come right away. And by right away, I mean after the season. Um, and, and you better get an upgrade, for sure. Is Jeff Brom the top offensive-leaning uh, coach set to make that move? Because if if there's even a whiff of that, then that also forces Louisville's hand, probably. Yeah, and Jeff Brom is not having a good year. Um yeah, offensively, yes. Uh, he got all kinds of love after last season. But, yeah, and that probably makes Louisville make a move. And then there you go. You're in another bidding war. Auburn's in another bidding war. Hey, Purdue's 3-3. Three and three. This Purdue team could still make a bowl. Yeah, well, yeah, it could. Um, when, they, when they beat Ohio State this weekend, boys. <laughs> yeah. then, it, then it just goes nuts. Then, <laughs> then Auburn goes off the rails, you know, everything. Louisville goes off the rails. That's a good point. But you know, my, Mike Norvell is 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 I think becoming an attractive option. Um, yeah. You know, I. But is it? But if you're gonna get if you're gonna get rid of that's my point. If you're gonna get rid of Gus Malzahn, does Mike Norvell? And by the way, Memphis isn't having a very good year. I know they gave UCF all they wanted. Um, but it, does it, does Mike Norvell stir the blood? That's what I mean. Everybody who could get the job who'd be good is is, is currently employed. Yeah. Mm. Game of the week in the Big Ten, Michigan, Michigan State. We're going to East Lansing. A lot of trends right now that favor the Spartans. I mean, and that's kind of the the intrigue here, right, Dennis? Just the fact that the the you know the recent history. I mean, D'Antonio has owned this rivalry, and Michigan appears to be after beating Wisconsin in an impressive fashion uh, on the precipice of another one of those uh, really good Michigan years, you know, where the, I know you love this rivalry. You know, where, how do you take the temperature of both sides going into the matchup? I, I love hate week. Yeah. Michigan state has owned this rivalry basically ever since Mike Hart made the little brother comment. And that really got under the skin of D'Antonio to the point that I've been there a couple times for this game where he said, somebody said, is this personal? And he said, it's always personal. And the one, I think it was the, the year, remember the year that under Brady Hoke, Michigan was bad and that stupid linebacker put that spike in front of Michigan State's bench. And he, and he you remember that? It was a few years ago. It was Brady Hoke's last year, I think. Yeah, it was Brady Hoke's last year. He took like a some iron spike and put it in the ground like the Trojan guy at USC in front of their bench, Michigan State's bench. And after the game, they killed him and actually <laughs> called timeout to, to score a late touchdown. And 
in, in D'Antonio said, we shoved it up there. We shoved it. We shoved it. Well, we shoved it. You know, he wouldn't say the word. But, right, 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 right. He uh, was he right was on mad. the edge. That's good. What do you think for that? So what do you think for the for Michigan? I think Michigan's in trouble because Brian Lewerke's playing better. They had obviously the game at, uh, at Penn State was big. I had someone contact me last night. Right, and tell me Felton Davis is one of the best receivers in the country. And I, I've seen him play, and I know he's their number one receiver, but I'd never thought of him like that. So, you know, that's it's going to be it's going to be iron sharpens iron because they're both going to try to do the same things, I think. Um, you know, sh- I, I think this, I think they've opened up the playbook or, for Pep Hamilton. When I saw them, Michigan, earlier against Notre Dame, it was very vanilla. You guys could see it the formations of plays they're in. I think they're letting him go. I think they're letting the offense go. But I, I think it's going to be a tough ask at Michigan State of Michigan. All right, Dennis, so what about in that game? Do you have a prediction or do you have an idea of which way that's going to go? Oh, I think Michigan State's going to win. I, oh. I think, this, as I said, this is hate week, and Mark D'Antonio stores up stuff for this game that he hasn't all season. And I, I think just the fact that they're playing well now and you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, they beat Penn State – uh, Michigan's at the top of its game, frankly, as much as it has all season. But I, I just, I just go with the hate. I think Michigan State hates more. <laughs> so this is just sort of, uh, you're not gonna, you don't know how it's gonna happen. You don't have a, you know, there's not, there's not any strategic edge. It's just a no. a kind of a gut that this is, yeah, what Michigan State does. Yeah, and I don't look. I don't think there's that much difference between the teams right now. As I said, Lurkey seems to have his mojo back. Um, I talked about Felton Davis. The defense played well at Penn State. Um, spoke to their strength coach Ken Manny this week, and he's he, he's just about as into it as uh, as Coach D is. So I, I just think they're they're ready for this one. This is going to make their season. I, I don't know. You know, they, they may be a 10 and 2 team or 7 and 5 team, but they're going to win this game. Wow. <laughs> I feel, I, like I mean, I, I feel, I feel really dumb. I'm, I'm kind of leaning Michigan here, but because well, he's, it's, I don't see, I don't see this as a game where Michigan wins it close. I think Michigan either goes and just sort of makes a statement and blows them out or they lose. I think it, to me, it feels like one of those two. You know, ends of the spectrum. I, and, okay, it, so then do you see Michigan blowing them out? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Michigan. I mean, I didn't see Michigan blowing Wisconsin out either. And, no, but that was at home. And, and look, Wisconsin's got some flaws that start with the guy under center. And it, it, I expected Michigan to win. Yeah, I didn't expect that point spread. Uh, and that was surprising. I, Wisconsin isn't who, isn't who we thought they were, I guess is what I'm saying. But. I I, th- I feel like I'm dialed in on Michigan, Michigan State a little more. Yeesh. Making me feel nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, hey, tell me about Denton. What do you? We were talking about uh, Jeff Brom and offensive-minded coaches earlier. What's Does Seth Luttrell get a look at this upcoming um, coaching carousel? I, I don't think he does unless things loosen up because it would have to take at the top – like Ohio State, LSU, or USC changing. And I don't know if any of those change for, for things to loosen up enough. I'm not saying he'd get one of those jobs. I'm saying that would cause the some, domino. Uh, 
domino effect where he could get something. Look, everybody thought, I think a lot of people thought that he would get a really good look at Texas Tech after this season. Well, it looks like Cliff may have saved his job. That may not be open. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with him staying there another year. I think he's got it going. His quarterback comes back next year, and they're going to be really good. But I just I love to, to duck into these group of five programs and just get a look and see what they deal with and how they go about things. He's a really good coach. He's a ball coach. He's a former Bob Stoops fullback uh, at 99. He was involved in, uh, by the way, he was involved in that ruse against Texas in 99 where they gave him the fake game plan. You saw that. He was the one who was, uh, he had to go drop it off, right? I believe so. Yeah. In front of their, in front of their bench. And so he just laughed about it. I mean, there wasn't anything else I could say about it uh, to him. That was such a good story. But he's got the looks. He's got the chops. He's got the background. He, he coached under Kevin Wilson at Indiana, Mike Stoops at Arizona, Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. He played for and, and was a GA with Mark Mangino. So he's got a lot of people at Kansas. He's got a lot of people in its corner, a lot of people to draw from. He, and, and the biggest thing was, you know, at places like that, you can try the, the punt deke that they did against Arkansas, you know, and that was the last time they had beaten an SEC team, I think it was 1975. Um, and, uh, and what I'm referring to, I think it was week three where the kid uh, Keegan Brewer stopped in his tracks and never signaled for a fair catch and went 90 yards for a touchdown. It, to me, that's the biggest play of the first half of the season because it went viral. Um, you can do that at a place like that. Uh, they had to, to increase attendance for the home opener. They staged a wrestling match after the game. Uh, I guess North Texas is a big wrestling country. They brought in the Von Erich family. Do you, do you remember them? No. But, you don't? Okay. okay. That, that's okay. Um, and they had two, two games in a row. They had record attendance at Apogee Field, a uh, 20,000, 30,000-seat stadium that was paid for a lot by student fees. Which again, you have to do at that level. But it's a nice little university, thirty-eight thousand tier one research university, which puts it in the same boat with Notre Dame, Hale, and, and Har- Yale and Harvard. That's a nice. This is a nice little story. He's like the next man up, I guess. Is he not the first call if if North Carolina does something with Larry Fedora? Yes, I, I do think that uh, because he was uh, he had Mitch Trubisky. But Mitch Trubisky wasn't starting. He had Marquise Williams when, as offensive coordinator under Larry Fedora when North Carolina led the country, I think, in plays per game. They played faster than anybody else in the country when he was OC. Now, they don't do that, any, they don't, you know, do that anymore. Mostly, he told me, because he's head coach. And he has to think about, think about things like leaving the defense out there too long. But, you know, he can do almost anything. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think I think he'd be he'd get a call. I would really think that Gene Chizik's going to have a solid chance because he was defensive coordinator there um, and did some good things. So I, I would watch those two guys. Yes, absolutely. Boy, that would feel like an, an uninspiring move to to give up Larry Fedora for Gene Chizik, wouldn't it? Yes, I, to me, yes. But I've been told that that is definitely a thing. Interesting. Um, that that has moved off the dime, uh, and I'm not saying he's going to get it. I'm just saying, right? You know, don't don't be surprised if he does, because certain people there uh, really like Gene Chizik. 
you know, and he, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. I don't know if that's a very inspirational choice. Got a fine resume, but you know, if you, I think if you want to get people going there, getting people excited, Seth Luttrell's your guy. Was Butch at the time, from your perspective, Dennis, was Butch Davis uh, a flashy hire? At, uh, North, at North Carolina? Yes. Uh, he was trying to, I guess, rebound. Yeah, um, like Gene Chizik. Miami, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's not to say it, it, it couldn't work. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I've, I've gotten the feeling that at North Carolina, sometimes for the football coach, especially when you're when you're going opposite uh, a bas- mm-hmm. the basketball program that's rolling, it's like your interpersonal relationships with people within the university community might matter uh, just as much as what your resume might be uh, in terms of a flashy yeah. hire. All right, and sometimes that's unfortunate. I mean, I would most most people in that position would go young and go offense. And Seth Luttrell is 40 and he's an off, he's a direct descendant from Mike Leach's air raid tree. So yeah, I, I might go that way. When you were uh, filling out your midseason all America ballot and trying to do your, your re-racked predictions, did you find yourself uh, coming up on any questions or quandaries that, that you, you had, you furrowed your brow and you had to spend some time really meditating on? Uh, the defensive line is always tough, but Ed Oliver's a, you know, is a given. Uh, leads the country and tackles by a defensive lineman, forty six. Sometimes that's a season for guys, and we already know what he's accomplished. So you know that was, that was easy. Uh, some of the linebacker, the the coach of the year. I'm curious to see who you guys had midway through. Barton. My, mine was Luke Fickle. Yeah. Roll off the, you know. Um, off the radar there a little bit just because, you know, not as big of a big-time program, but I just think the, the as quickly as the culture has changed there, that's that's a pretty impressive effort there. I mean, he's at six games in. He's already hit the over on, on win total. He's undefeated. He's a top 25 team, and this was a team last year that was, you know, barely beating Austin P. Uh, I, I just think he's done a, a heck of a job. He He's done in uh... – He'd done what uh, Urban Meyer did uh, after he left, after Luke Fickle left Ohio State in 2012. You mean the uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats that are undefeated, nationally ranked, and three point yes. underdogs to Temple this weekend? <laughs> well, he has them. He has them undefeated halfway through the season. Right, Ohio right, State right. went 12 and 0 and couldn't go anywhere that year. In, in uh, well, I went. I went with Ogeron. Um, Who do you have, Dennis? I I went with Ogeron. I just think it's. Every time I, I write that, I just want to, yeah, Joe Oliva, third choice. How does that taste? And like, in it, of course, he's basking in it. Oh, this is a guy we had. The, remember the the line you know, that turns out the guy we had was right here with us. And, oh, come on, that's so much BS. When they had Jim, they they danced the dance with Jimbo Fisher and Tom Herman and and settled. Come on, settled for Ed Orgeron, and. That was that was an Auburn junior. They were ready to pounce as soon as he lost to a team he shouldn't. And I was there last year, the Monday after the Troy game, and I've been to more depressing. Uh, uh, you know, I, that place was more depressing to some funerals that I've been at. I mean, it was bad. And now all he's done is go. What's he been? Uh, twelve and I think twelve and two since that day. Yeah. Um, and that's so, that's kind of I like you know I I factored that into my coach of the year decision. I understand that it, yeah. it, in the in the proper sense of the award, it should be yes. things that are just done in this season. But that to the 
complete 180 from you know where we were after that Troy game to sitting in the top five fans rushing the field saying yeah. we want Bama. It's just different. Yeah, and I still I just want to hear somebody from LSU say he's 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 a really good coach and not and not you know replay commercials from Ole Miss of him doing car commercials or do, doing imitations of his voice. I just want them to go, yeah, and Ensbinger worked out, you know, Burrow worked out. Um, now, given their schedule, still could be eight and four. And how's that going to sit at LSU? I don't know. But, you know, and they got a tough one this week in Mississippi State, but November 3rd. I just hope it's at night against Alabama because that would be epic. I mean, I don't think we're allowed to break any news, but if I right. was to bet, I would bet that's at night. At the C, probably a CBS game, and they would flex it to the night. Yeah, I mean, we was yeah. it, I think C, yeah CBS gets one of the yeah. three thirty eight o'clocks a season. Yeah, yeah, come on, um, you, you would have. To think. I, hey, I'll say this, Ed Odron, great. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if we need to call him the riverboat gambler, but LSU went four for four on fourth down against Georgia, and the one fourth mm-hmm. down that they decided to punt. They were in plus territory, and I think they were on the 45-yard line. He's, they were about to line up and go for it. Uh, sees Georgia's formation. Coach O calls timeout. Burrow really wanted to go for it. They decide to mm-hmm. punt. They end up pinning Georgia inside the five, and on the following possession, Jake Fromm threw that interception to Christian Fulton. So yeah. – like four converted fourth downs on four tries and on the one fourth down try that it looked like you were going to go for it and you chose to punt and ended up being an interception. So I, I kind of feel like the in-game riverboat gambler side of things has a coach. has got some mojo right now. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not, let's look, let's, let's tell it like it is from Saturday. They, they undressed Georgia. They physically dominated them. They intimidated them. And I didn't. I did not expect that result. Georgia's got to find its manhood back, and it's got to find it really quick. Now, Kirby Smart's already made the comparison to Auburn last year, and they rebounded and blah blah blah. But there's a little bit of disarray of what they're going to do with the quarterback. Somebody asked me yesterday. Oh no, I was on a radio show. Do you expect Justin Fields to start? And I go, No, I don't. Um, the worst you can say about Saturday is that. You know, they may have waited too long. They didn't really have a plan and then stuck him in. But I don't know if Justin Fields is is your savior in any of these games. Now, this is big boy football. This isn't getting him snapped so he doesn't transfer. Mm. Yeah, it's it's the this is still Jake Fromm's team, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And and if 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 Justin Fields was really turning heads in practice to where you know, he there was a temptation to start him. I think we would have we would have caught wind of that by now. I think absolutely. This is, you know, we're, we're Justin Fields is is is. Look, I, I do think there there are probably ways to use him that that they could incorporate him a little more than they they have. But you know, good quarterbacks have bad games, and I think Jake Fromm had a bad game against yeah. LSU, but he'll have good ones. That's not to say they can't get it back and. And yes, they did have two freshman offensive linemen in the game, and and that's going to show up in a game like that. So we'll see. Georgia, Georgia has to win out. What I mean, they they have to win out. And one of those games has to be against Alabama. What else is on your watch list for the weekend, Dennis? We got uh, Oklahoma TCU, yeah. Clemson, NC State. Uh, 
You know, what, what, Clems- what, what's got your attention? Clemson NC State in that this is two undefeated teams this late in the season, and Clemson's a 17-point favorite in a series they've won 13 to the last 14. I'm, I'm having a hard time getting fired up for this one. I know Ryan Finley's good. Chip, you know more about these teams than I do. What do you think? It's a close game. Clemson wins. Is it? But yeah, it's a close game. Okay. Yeah. But, right. I mean, they, the uh, the all of the recent games between these two teams have been close, and it for in the in the heart of an NC State fan, it's been very much kind of uh, a a Charlie Brown and kicking the football scenario. Yeah. And so, especially given you know that where Clemson. All right, so it was. Seven-point game last year, seven-point game in 2016, uh, a 56-41 high-scoring shootout in 2015, and then back in 2014, Clemson blanked them. So each of the last three has been a very competitive game. I okay. I, I think, and we mentioned this a little bit yesterday, I, I think that uh, I think Clemson is happy to win games by 10 right now. Uh, yes, Uh Given the fact that they've, I, I don't know how to put this, they've, they've cut out the legs of their team. Trevor Lawrence can't run, and we've seen what happens when he does run. As good as he is, they're not a plus-one quarterback team anymore, uh, which means you don't have to spend a spy on him. Um, you can defend with, with 11 or defend with 10, not 11, and drop a linebacker. And I'm making it sound like Trevor Lawrence is a, is a liability, but it's just a different. I mean, yeah, thing. come on, Dennis. He's not a statue. You can't. Right. No, you I, can't know be, yeah. I know. This, um, this isn't Jacob. Yeah, making, this isn't Jacob Coker back there. Jacob Coker. But I think that's reflected in what you said about, you know, the the ten points. Um, you think this is going to be? Cl- I, I I guess I'm. Then I'm wondering why it's a seventeen point spread. Yeah, I'm wondering that too. Yeah. I don't know why it's that big. Maybe brand names. It, it's happened before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Dennis, thank you very much. Peace. Thanks. <laughs>